God is so good to me. Is he good to you? Sometimes I don't see his goodness right then. But if I wait a while and look back, I can see just how good God is. How much he loves me. And in spite of my own stubbornness, he's always gracious. We're, uh, we're in a series, and we're at part number four uh, this morning, where we're looking at things that happened in Jesus' life that amazed people. He's, he's absolutely an amazing God as we see him work in our lives. And this story is in Mark chapter 12. If you brought your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. We're going to read through the story first, and then we're going to come back and, and interpret it from uh, five different perspectives, five different facets of the, that, this one story. Um, we're going to start in verse 13, where our story begins. But so we can get a context, let's read verse 12 first. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. You see, they wanted to silence Jesus, but they were afraid if they tried to do that, there'd be resistance from the crowd. And pleasing the people was really important to them. So they didn't do anything. They wanted to think about it. They wanted to process it and come up with a workable strategy. That's where our story begins as we start in verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They were amazed that he had this response. And uh, the whole story is amazing if we understand it, if we kind of dig a little deeper and read between the lines and, and uh, try to understand what's really happening here. Because God is a creative God. You know, God's the one who created everything we see. And just about this time of year, we like to drive out through the countryside and take a look at what God's created you know all this beautiful color? It's all a part of the death process. Those leaves are dying. Stop and think about it. But if they don't die, there won't be another spring with more fruit on it. So we live in these cycles, these seasons of, of uh, death and life, defeat and victory, failure and success. We all go through them in our lifetime. 
and we're a fool to stop on the down, the down part of it. We got to keep going because there's another upside. So I want to look at this story we just read from five perspectives. Here's the first one. Creative icebreakers. Now, the Pharisees and the Herodians came to Jesus with a, with a trick, with a trap. They're trying to catch him in his words. But before they get to the trap, they kind of have to set it up. You know, you're never going to catch a mouse if you don't set the trap. So they come to him to set the trap. And they said three things to him. Very creative icebreakers. The first thing is, you are a man of integrity. You see, they're putting, putting a little butter on. They're trying to smooth it out. They're setting the trap. You're a man of integrity. Is that true of Jesus? Absolutely. Now, integrity doesn't just mean you keep your word. Integrity has to do with the solidness of your character. Even in the testing time, we talk about integrity of the wood. What does that mean? It means it doesn't have any knot holes in it, doesn't have any splits or cracks in it. It's, it's all together. It's got it together. A man or a woman of integrity is a man or a woman who has it together. And yes, you've been through some tough times, but you've recovered from the tough times, and you're, you got it together. You know what you believe, you know who you are, and you stand on that. That's integrity. And that's where Jesus was. He knew who he was. He knew what he was here to do, and he didn't let anything distract him. He was a man of integrity. Men and women of integrity do it right the first time. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow says, It takes less time to do something right than to explain why you did it wrong. Good point there. Just do it right the first time. Quit trying to cut corners. That's what integrity is. They're trying to boost his ego. In, in Proverbs 10, 9, I think we have that scripture. Yeah. It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. In other words, if you have integrity, you tell the truth, and you can never be caught in a lie because you tell the truth. You see that? If we try to take shortcuts, we get in trouble. So that's the first thing. They said three things to him. The first one is, you are a man of integrity. Secondly, they said, you're not swayed by others because you don't care who they are. You treat everybody the same. It doesn't make any difference what color their skin is. It doesn't make any difference which side of the tracks they live on. It doesn't make any difference what their past is. You're concerned about their future. You treat everybody the same. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, doesn't matter. You treat them all the same. You think that was a compliment to Jesus? I do. I want to be that kind of person. I want to treat everybody the same. No matter what their past is, I want to look to the future and what the future can be. He's not a respecter of persons. And then they said a third thing about him as their icebreaker. They said, you teach the way of God. That's great. They didn't say you teach about God. They said you teach the way of God. You see, God has a way of doing things. And he teaches the way of God. They recognize this. 
Now, none of that really mattered to them because they came to catch him in his words. They came to trap him. But they start out by buttering him up, by setting him up, saying all these positive things. You know, we, we do that in our world today. You know, if, you, if, if you're going to ask somebody a favor, first thing you want to do is butter them up a little bit. You know, you want to want to talk to them about what a nice guy they are. You know, that kind of thing before you ask them to do you a favor. You want to build relationships, build connections. Now, before we move on to the next facet I want us to see, the, the icebreakers, I want us to look at Genesis 1.27 because this kind of fits in to creative icebreakers. So God created mankind in his own image. Remember that. He created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So did God who did the creating, was, did, he, did he look like a male or did he look like a female? Was he white, black, oriental? What did God look like? He created man in his image. What does that look like? You see, God is creative. He thought up the idea of males and females so that we could be a part of the recreative process. He wants us to be creative people, so he created us like him. He wants us to continue to perpetuate what God has done in us in other people. This is good. And we're going somewhere with this. Here's the second thing I want us to see, the second perspective I want us to see. Controversial topics. They came to him with a topic. It's the imperial tax. You see, the, the Roman Empire was this huge governmental system that had gobbled up all these smaller countries that couldn't defend themselves. So there was a huge empire, and somebody's got to pay for all that. So they established an imperial tax. Roman citizens didn't have to pay an imperial tax. Those in occupied countries like Israel had to pay an imperial tax that went to the empire. It went to the king, the Caesar, whichever one that was at that time. So the Israelites, all of them, had to pay an imperial tax. It was, a, was mandated by law. That's a controversial topic. Do we pay this or don't we? I mean, you you know where Israel stands. They believe their country should be a theocracy. God oversees everything. God has set up a priesthood that's supposed to hear from God, and prophets are supposed to speak the truth. God's supposed to be the head of the country. And we're supposed to give our money to Romans that are occupying us? You see, that's a hot potato topic. And they come up with a plan to set a trap for Jesus. They get a couple Pharisees and a couple Herodians to come to Jesus with a question. Now, here are some strange bedfellows. 
The Pharisees are the right-wing conservatives. You know, they, they want the Romans out of there. They want things to be established as a theocracy again. They don't want to have to pay tribute to some occupying country. They think it should be, be going to their God-fearing country. That's where it should be. So they, they are a little bit resistant to what's happened to them. And then on the other side, you got the Herodians, the followers of King Herod. They're the left-wing liberals. They see the fact that our country has been overthrown. We are occupied. And we're going to have all kinds of trouble if we resist it. So let's just play along. Let's go ahead and pay the tribute to the Roman government. So the Herodians on the left and the Pharisees on the right could never get together on anything. But Jesus brought them together. They decided they would concoct this plan. Let's give him a trick question he can't get out of. Should we pay the imperial tax or should we not? Because however he answers, he's going to alienate the other side. Somebody's going to be mad at him. This is a lose-lose situation, and Jesus knows it. But he's creative. You see, he's been made in the image of his father. And because he's creative, he can come up with more creative icebreakers. He can resolve this in a different way. And notice Jesus did not identify with either political group. He just wouldn't do it. He's here to honor God, to lift up God, to teach the way of God. And he's not going to get sidetracked in worldly politics, whether you do it this way or whether you do it that way. But they gave him a good question. Should we pay it? Now, the imperial tax was a denarius, which is about a day's wage. That wasn't a huge amount of money, but for people just making it from day to day, that's a whole day's income. That's pretty tough. So he says to them, bring me a denarius and let me look at it a denarius is a Roman coin now the denarius that was being circulated at that time uh, was this coin we got an image of it up here they found some of those around in Israel and this is this is an old one this is probably the very coin not the very coin but one off the same press uh, they brought to Jesus look just like that and I'm going to say some more about that in a minute, but let me say this. The question you bring to Jesus probably isn't the question you should be asking. The things that we think are big issues really aren't big issues. It's the things we really don't want to ask that we should be asking. Because those are the things that separate us from what God wants in our life. Controversial topics. He's never afraid of a controversial topic, and neither should we. If we know what we believe and why we believe it, and we base it on the Word of God, no matter what controversial topic comes up, you got an answer for it, and you know why. And you don't apologize for it. Right? So we, the church doesn't have to be afraid of controversial topics. But here's the third perspective I want us to see. It's Jesus converting the ambush. I love it. They set up an ambush, 
And Jesus reverses it. They came and asked him this question, should we pay the imperial tax or shouldn't we? That's a clear question, yes or no? Good question. And Jesus turned the tables and he said, whose image is on this coin? Put that denarius back up there. Whose image is on this coin? Well, it's, they said, it's Caesar's. I don't know if you know this, but the word Caesar means king. So he's the king of the land. That word Caesar continued to be the term uh, of the head of the Holy Roman Empire all the way up to World War I. You remember the head of the German government was Kaiser Wilhelm? Kaiser means king. German, same thing, it's Caesar. So, this particular... Caesar is Tiberius Caesar Augustus, imprinted on the coin. Jesus didn't just say whose image, he says whose inscription is on it. Very important. Although nobody back then would even thought about it. And quite frankly, in, in, in most of my years as a minister, I've never thought about the inscription on the coin. I've just thought about the image you know what the inscription on there says? This is what it says, translated. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. You know what divine means? It means God. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of our God. That's the coin. And you're asking me what we should do with it? Should we pay the temple tax or shouldn't we? I love it. Talk about creative icebreakers. Jesus just came up with a good one. He just reversed the situation and, and turned the trap around on them. Now, how are they going to answer this? Neither the Pharisees nor the Herodians are going to recognize Tiberius Caesar Augustus as the son of God. But that's what's on the coin that they're talking about giving. Jesus took that hot potato topic and just turned it right back around on them. And I expect him to do that again and again and again and again and again. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, For prophecy, and we're, we're talking here about converting the ambush, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will that men sat down and wrote what they thought would be God's word to us. But prophets, though human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love that translation. It, it's, it, it expresses what an anointing is real clearly. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So they were, they were hearing from God and as they were writing, God kept speaking to them and they just kept writing it down and the anointing just kept flowing as they were carried along by the Spirit. You and I, we, uh, we've got to be spiritual here. If we want to be spiritual people, we need to see that, that the Holy Spirit is carrying us along on a daily basis. And I don't always, I shouldn't say that. I plan for my day, but my plan rarely works because <laughs> other people have a plan for me. Other people call me up. I get things in the mail. I get emails and I got to respond to this problem or that problem. 
I'm carried along by the Holy Spirit. But the wonderful thing is, it's kind of like gro- grocery shopping. You take a cart down the aisles, and oh, you come to the bread aisle, and you pick out the one you want. And you come to the cereal aisle, and you pick out the one you want. And you just fill your cart up with this and that as you get to it, as you go down the aisle. That's my life. God is carrying me along down the aisle and I am picking up this and picking up that and discovering this and experiencing that and not all of them are things I like. You know, you got to take what's good for you, not what tastes good. I don't know where I came up with that grocery cart illustration, but carried along. Here's the fourth thing, a new perspective I want us to look at this from the story. And these are the Clever solutions. Jesus came up with a clever solution here because he is the creative son of God. And if you and I are creative sons and daughters of God, there ought to be some creative solutions coming out of us. New ideas. So shall we pay that tax or shall we not? And Jesus just says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Yes and yes. They couldn't catch him. He wiggled right out of that situation. Yes, give to Caesar. What does that mean? It means be a good citizen. Here's where you've been placed. And it's a shame that the Romans are over Israel. But it is what it is. And they've got the governmental structure they do. And they have the Roman army around to make sure things go the way the Romans want it to go. So be a good citizen. What does that mean? It means pay your fair share. If you want to pick up the phone and dial 911 in a crisis and you expect somebody to be on the other end, somebody's got to pay for that. If I want to sleep safe at night and I don't, I don't want to have to worry about some foreign country invading us and taking over our way of life, somebody's got to pay for that. I'm willing to pay my fair share. I get a little bit upset when I know there's people out there that are not paying their fair share. And they come up with all kinds of ways to, to get out of that, but I'm expected to pay my fair share. That kind of grates me a little bit. I'm okay paying my fair, my fair share if everybody else does too. It also means I should vote. Because I have to live with the rules those people make. So I should have some say in it. And just as a testimony, let me tell you, I vote every opportunity I have. Because I want the ability to gripe about it. And if I was too lazy to go out and vote, I don't have a right to complain. I asked for it. But if I vote and it goes the other way, now I'm going to complain about it. Till the next election. <laughs> to be a good citizen also means if we want a fair jurisdi- jur- uh, jury system in our country then I need to be a part of that and do my jury duty when it comes up. 
I don't like that. It's time away from my schedule when I'd rather do other things. But if I want it to be fair, I need to be fair with it. I need to be a part of that. Even if they always do boot me off because I'm a minister. <laughs> Nobody, no defense attorney trusts me, I guess. <laughs> and if I'm going to be a good citizen, I need to honor the flag that represents yes. this country. Yes. Is there other things wrong with our country? You betcha. There's all kinds of things wrong with our country. I see it. You see it. But that flag represents my country. I am not going to alienate myself from my country because I don't like something. I'm glad to be here. I would like to help make the world a better place. But it's a thrill to me to teach my grandkids when the flag comes past you stand up and you put your hand over your heart trying to teach them something get something in here so he says yes give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God at the same time you don't have to make your mind up you can live in this world while you recognize you live in the other dimension as well In, uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said it like this. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. With the same measure you use. If you're cheap, God will be cheap. If you're generous, God will be generous. I don't know what that scripture means other than that. And the Son of God himself said that. And he's creative enough to help, it make that, help us make that happen. So if we're going to give to God, consider our finances that we've given to God. We ought to consider our time. Your time's worth something. What do you do with your time? Is it all about you? Is it all about money you can make? So you can pay your taxes? There's God behind that. If you see God behind that, maybe you need to take not just a portion of your money and put into the kingdom, but maybe you ought to take a portion of your time and put it into the kingdom. Invest that in someone else. Be a good citizen. Here's number five. The fifth perspective I would look at in this story is what I'm calling curveball anticipation. You know what a curveball is, don't you? You can't tell where it's going. You know, the pitcher knows where it's going. But if you're standing there on home plate with that bat up there and you're waiting for that ball, that, that ball to come across, you don't know if it's going to go a little bit high, a little bit low, a little bit inside, a little bit outside. You don't know. You just have to wait till it gets there and be ready. And my experience is God loves to throw me curveballs. I can't anticipate what he's going to do. I wish I could. I wish I could stand up here and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to prophesy this morning about something that's going to happen in our church. I wish I could do that. But God's throwing a curveball, and I'm not real sure what he's doing in our church. I'm not real sure what he's doing with you. I'm not real sure what he's doing with the people in the other service because he keeps throwing curveballs. But I've learned that God is, is intending for me to win the game. 
So whatever he throws at me, it's, it's for the purpose of me getting a home run. So I just need to be ready to respond to whatever curveball comes my way. And Jesus had to respond to the curveball the Pharisees and the Herodians sent to him. But the Pharisees and the Herodians, they couldn't get out of it. They didn't know what to do with that. He threw them a curveball and they were lost because they didn't have any truth to stand on. You see, everything God does, Satan counterfeits. So wherever there's attack, an attack from Satan, from some unclean spirit, wherever there's an attack in your life, it's probably a counterfeit of the real thing. God wants to do a real thing, and we got snagged with a, with a counterfeit, with something artificial that's not really real. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Let's read that again. In this world you will have trouble. Everybody read it with me this time. In this world you will have trouble. Keep going. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You haven't. He has. You haven't, he has. But if you're in Christ and he's in you, you overcome. We win. We hit the ball over the fence. He's the home run king. And I want to be on his team. So, what is God's? Give to God. What belongs to Caesar, give to Caesar. You can do both. Just keep your faith in the right section. Amen. Keep your faith in the right place. Let's stand together. God is creative. He made his son in his image. Creative. He made you and I in his image, creative. He wants us to have fresh, new ideas to be creative, to make something that we leave behind in this world. He wants us to be creative. And he wants us to understand Satan is the counterfeit of creation. In other words, Satan and what he does, he can't create his way out of a Walmart bag. (laughs) He just copies. He's counterfeit. Handle the real thing, and you'll be able to recognize the counterfeit. Let's handle the real thing. Amen. Amen. We're going to have some prayer partners up here to the front. The reason we have them is because sometimes... Uh, it, we, we want to claim that promise where two or three would agree on anything, he'll do it. And so if you need someone to agree with you on a particular prayer request, we're going to have prayer partners up here to pray with you. We want you to come and let them pray with you, and we're going to expect to see answers. Amen? Yes. We're going to expect it. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, the church of Jesus Christ is going to walk out of the doors of this building. And Father, as we go back out into our communities, neighborhoods, and places of employment and schools, we ask God that you'll help us to let our light so shine. Help us to be creative, just like Jesus was, that when someone tries to catch us in something, we're always ready to respond and turn it back on them. Show us how to do that, God, because we need your wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go with God. He loves you.